0: Hey,
1: go! What's You're the
0: best radio show! Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and
1: Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty.
2: And now here is Armstrong and Getty.
3: Armstrong and Getty Show. i got a quick question for you. What if you happen to miss part of this unbelievable radio program?
4: The answer is easy, friends. Just download our podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the podcast version of the broadcast show, available anytime, any day, every single podcast platform known to man.
3: Download it now. Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
4: I am struck by how much attention is being paid to the death spiral or... uh, you know, the coming downfall of China and, uh, for instance, San Francisco or, you know, Seattle, Portland, whatever, these these uh, blue cities and or commies that have sowed the scenes of their own destruction, and it's become so obvious that even people on the left are talking about it. But what institution could be more important in the United States than our government schools, which educate the vast majority of kids, or at least a, a significant majority? I'd actually like to see those numbers come to think of it, but And I believe, and I mean this to my bones, I'm not trying to be exciting here, I believe American government schools are in something like a death spiral. It'll take a while because they're such an institution, but all the signs are there. I mean, it's bad. For instance, the WAPO, a liberal newspaper, is reporting that teacher shortages have gotten worse in virtually every American state they looked at 37 states for some reason. I don't know. Maybe they got winded and didn't have time for the last 13. But they found that teacher vacancies grew in the last, is it, year and a half? Um, yes. Oh, good Lord. This is from the 2021-2022 the school year. A single year, teacher vacancies grew by 35%. That's more than a third for those of you who went to a government school and flunked fractions. <laughs> That's extraordinary. It's shocking. And they go into uh, examples in Arizona, which are mind boggling. Um, teacher vacancies rose from 15 per 10,000 students to 26. West Virginia was missing 1,500 teachers last year. That's a 50% increase from the previous year. Uh, some states obviously worse than others, but if you average them out, it's down thirty-seven percent. I have a quick and, thought.
3: Yes, please, just because it popped into my head. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm always blaming for this. I know what a lot of big government people always blame. It's got to be salaries. You just need to pay them more. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think it is. In fact, surveys have shown that. But do uh, do people with Are there more people with children that decide to be teachers than people who are single? I don't know that. I have no idea. I just wonder if the lack of getting married and having kids is has
4: caused fewer people to choose that vocation. Uh, I have no idea. That's certainly an interesting premise to investigate.
3: Yeah.
4: Um anyway, uh, the Rand Corporation did a big survey of teachers trying to figure out what was going on, and I had to scroll down to like paragraph fifteen uh of this story to get to the why wouldn't it? that was immediately what i wanted to know and the rand corporation cited and i'm guessing this is in order i haven't clicked on the actual survey cuz it's slightly voluminous but anyway um they cited stress number 1 then low pay and long hours i think that is an incredibly inadequate phrase for an incredibly important topic Stress of being told to teach, being ordered to teach extremely controversial, radical theories of sex and sexuality. For instance, the stress of having out of control classrooms and having progressive policies of discipline remove their authority from the classroom. And and there are several other things, but I think those are two very important factors. And that, and I'm not going on my own guesswork. We've asked teachers repeatedly, if you have left or you're planning to leave the profession, why? And they have written eloquently and movingly about it. And, and I think that, quote-unquote, stress, which if this was an algebra class, that would be a very, very, very long set of factors inside the parentheses, if you know what I'm saying. And then they say low pay. It's low pay, given the stress. Right. Yeah, that's a good
3: point. I, I wonder if you went back 50 years, or maybe you wouldn't even have to go back that far, how many teachers would say their job is extremely stressful? I'm guessing not that many. That's the key question, I'm isn't thinking it? your average third-grade teacher would say, no, it's hard. Lots of jobs are hard. There's a lot of work, but stressful? I don't know if it's more stressful than anything else. As opposed to now, it's the... Of course it's stressful now. You can end up on the wrong side of history <laughs> as it's currently developing so easily as a teacher. And then the whole, so, yeah. you're not allowed to discipline anybody. And if you do the government paperwork you have to fill out, oh,
4: my God. So if on the one hand you have a uh, an occupation, a, a, a life's mission, really, because I know we both cherish good teachers. I mean, they're heroes. I love good teachers i thank god for your existence on earth you good teachers including those who taught me um if you are in a uh a a job a a career a, a life's mission that is joyful rewarding magical difficult always challenging but you see young minds and hearts blossom well the fact that the pay ain't like super great it's just not going to be that big a deal, as opposed to you're in a chaotic hellhole being ordered to teach radical ideologies you find abhorrent. Yes, the pay's too low for that. And long hours, I would say. That's roughly the same you know equation I'm talking about. Yeah, well, if you ruin the vocation
3: part of it and turn it into just a job where you have to determine is the juice worth the squeeze, yeah, you're going to end up in a different situation.
4: So a couple other notes from the world of education. This is from the, uh, the Free Beacon, which is a terrific website. Uh, and, and for a, a validly conservative website, they're pretty damn good journalists and pretty responsible. I'm uh, uh, growing as a fan. Um, Portland Public Schools. Jack mentioned this briefly the other day. I thought it was worth following up. They're workshopping new equitable grading practices that bar teachers from giving a zero just because you didn't turn in the assignment at all. And you can't give a zero if they cheated. The district's initiatives aim to address racial disparities and inequities in grading and instruction, a journey that the district began, This is, these are quotes now, during the pandemic. Grading for equity eliminates zeros as a grade, even when cheating or right. It also calls for no penalties for late work, no grades for both homework and non-academic factors, such as participation, attendance, effort, attitude, and behavior. So if you punch the teacher in the face... And turn in no work. They cannot downgrade you for that. And that, friends, is going to lift up our minority children. It would be terrifying to be that delusional. I mean, you have to be, you're like one step away from hearing voices and imagining there are demons chasing you. To be so divorced from the way human beings really work that you would advocate those policies. You people scare me.
3: Well, they won the day for now.
4: Eh, they got a brief edge, but I think uh, more and more folks are becoming aware of what's going on in the schools and are getting more and more militant about it, and, and good for y'all are certainly uh, on your side. A couple more very quick notes. There was an arrest in the L.A. area. um Uh, Southern California districts, districts, including San Diego, Antelope Valley, uh, Glendale, Los Angeles. There is a fight broke out at an elementary school in L.A. because the parents were enraged that they were teaching the tiny little kids. Hey, Johnny, do you like to play with dolls? You're probably a little girl. And the rest of the radical gender theory, to my point that people are starting to wake up and show up. Is there one more? Ah, then on the other hand. And this is just interesting, kind of in a weird way. Tennessee, Michigan, and Carolina are among at least 16 states that have tried in recent years to use reading tests and laws requiring students to repeat third grade to improve literacy. They're saying, look, if you get out of third grade and you can't read, you need to do third grade again. Because if you can't read, you can't learn math. You can't learn science. You can't learn social Mm. studies. You can't learn anything. You've got to be able to read and what's really interesting about this is the the resistance people saying well i don't know it disproportionately affects kids of color and and it's tough for the kids and the families might be discouraged and all i i think the divide is between can you recognize reality or can't you
3: yeah that i i i became aware of that a couple of years ago with a variety of things that were going on uh, at schools with my kids and other kids i know that being held back was no longer a thing i didn't know that uh that they'd changed that since i was a kid how are you doing a kid any favors by social
4: promotion keep them with their friends
5: oh my god
3: i I have examples of kids who that so they they end up in the next grade they're not ready for it for a variety of reasons covid messed things up and all kinds of things and uh they're miserable they're because they'd have no idea what's going on
4: and you're not helping anybody Right, or at least an intensive, months-long, summer-reading, get-up-to-speed program that everybody's heard of and everybody knows about because it's so important. Interestingly, in Tennessee, um, whose, whose hearts and brains were in absolutely the right place, I think, in passing this, uh, roughly 60% of Tennessee third graders who tested in the spring failed to meet the necessary reading threshold. More than half, friends. Wow. So, is the answer... We need to launch an intensive and year-long study of why our kids can't read. Or is the answer, no, just pass them. Just put them in fourth grade. Well, in many quarters, the answer is the latter. Just or pass them. This do is too crazy. Do
3: we think human beings have changed so much in recent years that they're incapable of reading the way we
4: all did before?
3: I mean, that's crazy, obviously.
4: I know it is. It's huh. the brutal, brutal racism and and cruelty of low expectations.
0: The Armstrong and Getty
3: show. So we got this text. Not today. I've got a bunch of stuff to do around the house. So I assume they texted the wrong person. They meant to send that to somebody. So should I respond, well, then we're no longer friends or I want a (laughs) divorce? (laughs) How about I respond, I want a divorce then or something?
4: (laughs) How about watch your back? (laughs) <laughs> wow, that is funny. <laughs> Came across this uh, piece by Drew Holden writing for The Free Beacon. Kamala Harris is rebooting her vice presidency. No, seriously, this time. But I find Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, uh, the name rings a bell. Michael, can you re- remind us uh, who she is? She speaks in uh, in rhyme. You know,
1: it's weird. It's weird. The bus will go here and then the bus will go there because that's what buses do. And it's weird. <laughs>
0: Today, the business of our work is for the council to report on the work that has occurred since our last meeting across these
4: areas. (laughs) The bus will go here. The bus will go there. This issue of
0: transportation is fundamentally about just making sure that people have the ability to get where they need to go.
4: There you go. Wow. That's incisive. Uh, And so what he's talking about, and it's not exactly (laughs) a news flash that the, uh, the mainstream media is wildly bent toward the Democratic Party, but he went to the trouble of assembling all of this stuff. He's talking about the fact that Kamala Harris is once again rebooting her historically unpopular vice presidency. And as usual, the mainstream media are here for it. Politico on Monday published a nearly 2,000-word profile of Harris as she supposedly put the rockiness behind her and shows America the real Kamala. And he quotes it at at some length. And he writes, Kamala 4.0, Kamala has been stepping up, taking center stage, finding her voice and hitting her stride as a progressive Amazon for the past few months, according to headlines. New York Times, Kamala Harris takes on forceful new role in the 24 campaign. Washington Post, Kamala Harris seems to be stepping up to her 24 role. CNN, Kamala Harris takes center stage in Biden re-election campaign's rapid response to GOP. Politico, why Kamala Harris is a better VP than you think. CNN, Kamala Harris has found her voice on abortion rights in the year after Dobbs. Now she's making it central to her twenty-four message. Vanity Fair, Kamala Harris's 2024 role crystallizes around abortion rights. Time. Joe Biden finally gets it. Kamala Harris is the key to 2024. Wow. Bloomberg, Kamala Harris is finding her stride as the team Biden's voice to black voters. New York, abortion rights finally gets Kamala Harris, gives Kamala Harris a chance to lead. CNN, the battle, and there are a few more. But that's not her first reboot. In between her cringeworthy public appearances and damning leaks from her media, the media has been anticipating her vice presidential comeback since at least early last year. This is from early last year. Washington Post, Harris team looks to... Course changes to reset her political prospects. L.A. Times, Vice President Kamala Harris is making changes, but don't call it a reboot. Politico, she was zoomed out. Veep mulls escape from D.C. bubble. Then they go back to two years ago, her big reboot that the media wrote about and wrote about and wrote about. Hilarious.
3: Good luck with that.
4: Keep trying.
3: (laughs) I am going to get on my elliptical machine today. Now, I've said it out loud in front of thousands and thousands of people yes it would be embar- You're on the record if, i'm on the record and it would be embarrassing to not do it so
4: do it damn it there you go there you go you watch a little news something listen to a podcast fly by you'll enjoy it you'll wish oh i wish i had more time to do this
3: it's just listen, it's just a ha- so good it's a habit i need to create once i create the habit then i'll be fine but it, my habit now is to not do that <laughs> ever
4: you know, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I have debilitating back pain, and I know what I really need to do is stretch a lot, like an hour a day. And it's very difficult to motivate myself to do it because I feel like I'm not doing anything. It is stupid to the level of the, I don't know, the, the your suicide squirrels that run out in front of your car. It's just, it's an A, B, it's, it's one plus one. It's the simplest thing in the world. Do this and you will not be in pain anymore. But I'd like, wow, I've been doing this for 10 minutes already. It's like, wow, come on. I don't know. Terrible. You want us to text you, Jack, and remind you? Yeah, feel free.
3: Okay. In fact, uh, listeners on the Twitter, badger me all day long.
4: Yes, not a great look, but yes, we need the staff to badger us to do the right thing personally throughout the day. Yes, that would be great. Being
3: around Mm -hmm. for uh, for my children? Embarrassment on Twitter? Maybe that would get me on the
4: elliptical.
2: Five, four, three, two, one. Begin. Armstrong and Getty.
3: Armstrong and Getty.
2: Celebrating twenty-five years of radio excellence. That is the climax of foolishness.
1: Hiya.
4: Thank you, everybody. this This is Ted Nugent, and if Armstrong and Getty don't get on the beast, I'm gonna come out there and gut it. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong. and
0: Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong
4: and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty.
2: And now, here's
4: Armstrong and Getty.
5: But I would like to say to you, who are entrusted to represent and make decisions for our children, And to the community that may be watching this video, that we have a big concern with what is now being taught to children as young as 10 in Benicia, such as children are being asked to identify their pronouns, and this is now part of the 10-year-old curriculum. This forces a gender discussion beyond the scope of the state requirements and complicates an already overburdened classroom environment.
4: That is a woman by the name of Janet Robertson who lives in Benicia, California, who is speaking at her local school board meeting. Uh, we had the opportunity to chat with her at length yesterday and have an Armstrong and Getty extra large podcast for you uh, wherever you like to get podcasts or at armstrongandgetty.com. But we wanted to give you a sample of it.
3: The idea of going to the school board meeting and saying, hey, I don't like you asking my 10 year old what their pronouns are. Uh, yeah, I really hate that.
4: So what happened after Janet stood up and we're going to play you a little more of what she said in the school board meeting, not only the substance of what she said, but the tone. An activist group in Benicia, California, the progressive Democrats of Benicia, decided to ruin her and so uh, identified her publicly, posted uh, scurrilous videos and posts online, contacted her rep- her employer repeatedly and demanded that she be fired. And that cowardly, cowardly employer bowed to the pressure and cut her loose for expressing extremely mainstream points of view in an incredibly polite fashion. Again, so you don't like the fact
3: that the teachers are asking your 10-year-old what their pronouns are, which I found outrageous. You go to the school board meeting and complain very calmly about that. You got three kids, and now you got no job. That sucks.
4: Yes. Yes, it does. Why don't we uh, do, let's just go through some of these clips, Michael. Ninety-one. We are alarmed that gender
5: identity is now being discussed in math classes. This takes time from core learning and does not benefit the students or our community. Teaching kids that there isn't any standard or truth and that you can believe anything you want to believe is not scientifically accurate or medically correct. For example, the notion that a girl can decide to be a boy or a boy can decide to be a girl is not true and should not be taught. The new curriculum teaches that individuals can decide if they're male or female, regardless of anatomy, does not explain that a boy cannot menstruate and a girl cannot impregnate someone. This is not scientific or medically accurate.
4: Uh, Go ahead, Michael. Next clip.
5: Our 10-year-olds will now be taught that they can receive puberty blockers to prevent their body from going through changes that make them uncomfortable. All humans are uncomfortable during adolescence. To teach vulnerable children that a lifetime of dependence on medical care is a viable option is completely unacceptable and evil. Frankly. How is this in the school?
3: How? When did our schools become the place where this this the, where where
4: the humanity and the government meet? It's weird. I have a thought on that, but I wanted to play one more clip. Ninety three, Michael.
5: 12-year-olds will now be taught about oral and anal sex. 12-year-olds. So I get a little emotional about this because I think that's wrong. Um, the Ag Code 51933 requires that instruction and materials should be appropriate for use of pupils with, of all races, gender, sexual orientations, and ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Teaching children about oral and anal sex violates this law since several cultures would not find this teaching appropriate.
4: So for expressing those points of views in that manner, she was hounded from her job by the progressive Democrats of Benicia, uh, which should be horrifying. You know, I was thinking about this um, before the show today, and it occurred to me a great argument. I was thinking of the, the fracas outside the Davis, California library that we were talking about where a um, and I should have asked for the tape when the, the one gal was advocating for keeping men out of women's sports. And the uh, progressive lunatic, in my opinion, said, they're women. Stop misgendering them. This is hate speech. They're women. And the gal said, just because a man says she's a woman doesn't mean she's a woman. She's a woman. Yes, she is. And and it was uh, the argument was, I believe this. You're wrong. I believe this. You're wrong. Shouldn't the onus, the responsibility be on the. Folks who are introducing an idea that's been unknown to mankind for 50,000 years, as opposed to the people who are defending what mankind has believed for 50,000 years. If you're introducing the radical new philosophy, you don't get to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. you got to come to me with an argument. Hmm. But that's one of the reasons critical theory is against data and science, because they have no data and science to, to look to. Anyway. Uh, So, uh, after Ms. Robertson uh, expressed herself at the school board meeting, indeed, she was hounded out of her job, um, harassed in uh, a handful of ways, and uh, and we talked to her about that. 95. You spoke at the Benicia Unified School District meeting to disagree with the new sex ed curriculum. Uh, What happened after that?
0: So, yes, I'm a mom of three children. I have a 9-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old. And so when I saw the new curriculum that's coming out that I believe is to be taught this year, I was very concerned about several items on it, which we can discuss. Um, But I just simply went and spoke at the school board meeting like a lot of parents do. And then I was really surprised that afterwards, within the week, um, several people wrote to the local newspapers and even wrote to my company corporate headquarters to say that I was transphobic and homophobic and a bigot and all the terrible insults that were thrown at me, none of which are true. And then it just kind of snowballed from there.
3: So they contacted your place of work and then did your place of work say, hey, what's up with this?
0: Yeah, you know, great question. I was very shocked when I saw the letters in the newspaper actually identified me as a compass real estate agent, because when I spoke to the school board meeting, of course, I didn't identify myself as anything other than a mom. And so that was pretty crazy. And then when I heard they'd actually written to my corporate headquarters, my local team leader. So I, I worked with compass here in Benicia in a little team and they approached me and said, Hey, you know, we've been told and Uh, Compass Corporate has been told that you're transphobic and all these things, to which I said, no, of course not. You know me. I've worked here for over a year, and I've brought in great money for you guys. In 2022, I did pretty well. Um, I retired law enforcement, but I then did a retirement job as a realtor and kind of had just started out. And uh, they said, well, Compass Corporate's really concerned about it. And, you know, basically, I didn't really think much of it because i thought what i had said at the school board meeting was very reasonable so then to get a call from the compass corporate representative our regional managing director um to tell me that i could no longer do business as a compass agent i was shocked i mean i just felt my heart drop i couldn't believe that they had done that
3: well what was their why why couldn't you do work for them anymore
0: Great question, which is exactly what I said. I said, Oh, my goodness. I said, My, my business is doing great. And his words were, yes, this has nothing to do with business. And I said, Well, you need to give me a reason, you know, why on the earth would you let me go if my business is great. And he said, Well, no, actually, we don't have to give you a reason because you're an independent contractor, which by the way, pretty much all realtors in the United States are independent contractors. Um, he said, We don't we really don't have to give you a reason. And I said, No, this is devastating to me. I've just spent tens of thousands of dollars branding myself as a compass agent and you're saying I can't work as a compass agent anymore. And I, I need something in writing or some sort of reason. And he, he would not elaborate. I'm certain he was advised by counsel not to. Oh yeah. Well,
4: his counsel yeah. is smart because to fire somebody yeah. for their political beliefs is kind of a no, no in this country. And actually even in the state of Cal Well, I have a feeling that discussion is not over by any means. I'll let you worry about that, man. The way a mob can come after
3: you at your workplace in the modern world is frightening to me.
4: Yes. And and make no mistake. The mob wanted Janet's hide, but even more, they want your silence. Right. And we can't give them that Uh, more with the, the brave and admirable Janet Robertson.
0: The letter that to me was most concerning was a woman named Nathalie Christian, and she's the treasurer of the, the progressive Democrats of Benicia, and she's the one who wrote to Compass and said, if you don't dis- disavow or disassociate yourself from Janet Robertson by May 1st, we're going to go public on this. And sure enough, May 1st is when I got the call from the corporate representative who told me I could no longer be a Compass agent.
3: Well, the activists have figured this out. They know the play is to go after your workplace if they want yeah. to uh, frighten people off, because every workplace is so afraid of being, uh, you know, being attacked by the mob that they're willing to let people go.
4: And and I'm looking at this letter from uh, the the progressive Democrats. I think um, and and it continually identifies you as Compass Real Estate's agent. Janet Roberson, which is not an accident. They are right. they are absolutely wow. attempting yeah. to terrorize you into silence by taking away your ability to make a living. I mean, it's
3: practically like saying, hey, we know where your kids live or something like that. I mean, it's just a threat.
0: You're absolutely right. I completely agree.
4: Yeah, this is something. This is just absolute ugly craziness. I mean,
0: it would be, It's it's like...
4: A better
3: example would have been, edit that out, my example was poor. A better example would be uh, the kind of car you drive and where you park. I mean, that's that's what it is.
0: Yeah, it is. It truly is an attempt to silence me, and for me, it it was effective. It actually got me fired. Sure. I'm very, very fortunate that, like I say, it's a retirement job for me with real estate, although it is my primary income at this point. I have a small pension from having been law enforcement, uh, which I appreciate a lot of parents don't. There's a lot of Americans who work as independent contractors, and that is their sole income. And for me, it has also been financially devastating. But it's just so frustrating. I would love to have seen Compass come out in response to this to say, hey, we respect, it, like, they're big proponents of the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why not say we're diverse and inclusive and we appreciate all walks of life and all thoughts? And we will support any of our realtors, whatever their political ideology is, even if we disagree with it. Uh, My thoughts are uh, likely they're not as traditional as I am. And traditional people should also be protected. So I was very disappointed.
4: (laughs) Again, you can grab the entire Armstrong and Getty Extra Large podcast at armstrongandgetty.com or wherever you like to download podcasts. We're getting Uh, a a
3: lot of texts. We're getting a lot of texts with things like time to Bud Light Compass real estate. That's not our point. uh, But that is what's going to happen. I mean, maybe that's how this all gets sorted out as companies decide. Sometimes this doesn't go the way we think. So maybe we'll stay
4: out of all these political issues. Yeah. When we get frightened into stampeding over good people by these activist mobsters, we well, we really hurt good people and people get angry at us for that huh yeah maybe they'll wake up
6: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: I found this headline intriguing, and the story was, was quite interesting. It's Why It's So Hard for China to Fix Its Real Estate Crisis. And before you tune out and think, I'm not that into Chinese real estate, radio boy. It's, A, a a look at the teetering Chinese economy, but, B, I came across one of the paragraphs a ways into the story that I thought, wait, what? And I wonder if it'll...
3: I'm looking at a bungalow in Wuhan, so I'm interested.
4: Yeah, go ahead and, and, and pay for the closet full of hazmat suits. They got a bit of a history there.
3: I want a quiet street near a park... But far from COVID outbreaks.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't walk by the Wuhan Institute of Virology on a windy day. Just a heads up pro tip. <clears throat> anyway, again, really good, effective uh, gain of function stuff there, Dr. Fauci. Your people really did a good job designing a virus. Well done. Credit where it's due. So they mentioned Beijing has often addressed economic troubles by boosting spending on infrastructure and real estate. But now the debt loads are so heavy, they can't do that anymore. A huge part of their economy has been building over the last 30 years or so, 40 years. Um, it employs people, it spends money, it puts money into the economy. And as their population was growing and cities were growing, it it made some sense, but they way, way, way overspent on it now. And there are hundreds of thousands or millions of apartments that are built, but unoccupied. Then over, you know, 500 miles away, they have 200,000 apartments that were That the company went broke before they were built, but the people who bought them have already given their down payment and are paying mortgages on apartments that may never exist. And if you don't think that's going to cause a shock to the system, well, you're not paying attention. So anyway, I'm going to hit you with a little of the economics, and I'll get to the point that made me say, wait, what? What? So they mentioned that back in 2016, China's stock market was plunging, its currency was teetering, and so the central bank's longtime governor announced what proved to be the start of an extraordinary blitz of lending by China's immense banking system. Minimum down payments for buying apartments were reduced, triggering a surge in construction. Vast sums were lent to local governments, allowing them to splurge on new roads and railroads, whatever. For China, it was a familiar response to economic trouble. Within months, growth started to pick up and financial markets stabilized. But now some There are similar aspects to 2023 in China, but little sign of the same results. It's become considerably harder for China to borrow and invest its way back to economic strength. Um, demand for borrowing is wilted in recent months for a variety of reasons. Construction and sale of new homes has stalled. More than 50 real estate developers have run out of money and defaulted or stopped payments on bonds. The companies left behind hundreds of thousands of unfinished apartments that many predominantly middle class families had already purchased, taking out mortgages to do so. It is a disaster. Deflation. Local governments deeply indebted can't even pay their civil servants. Blah, blah, blah. This is the part that I thought was crazy. Western economists have long contended that the answer to China's economic trouble lies in reducing the country's high rate of savings and investment and encouraging more consumer spending. The World Bank adopted that position in 2005 and then several other times. So, again, you've got to reduce savings and investment and spend more as consumers. But China has done little to strengthen its social safety net since then so that households would not feel a need to save so much money. Hang on now. Hang on. So the World Bank, the true masters of the universe, not the rich men north of Richmond, but the rich men north of New Jersey, as in like in Manhattan, are saying, hey, you've got to have a social safety net So people stop saving for retirement. Wow. Get them to spend, spend, spend. And I would argue what we've done in the United States is convince people we have these wonderful programs, Social Security and Medicare for when you're retired. So spend, spend, spend. Anybody who's ever tried to live on Social Security alone, you're a damn pauper. You're poor and afraid and can barely afford your medical care because Medicare has huge gaps. Doesn't that strike you as, like, immoral?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's troubling.
4: The problem with China is people are saving too much. They need to somehow stop that to get constant global economic growth. That may be the best example I've ever seen of... The uh, the masters of the universe are all about themselves. Uh, and I understand why economic growth is important. Stasis is important, uh, is impossible, rather. Stasis meaning staying exactly the same. It can't be done. You're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. Economies are either growing or they're shrinking. And if they shrink too much, then they can't support the populace, blah, blah, blah. But the idea that we always have to have... Like a significant growth all the time, and everything must be sacrificed to that, including convincing people not to save for retirement. That's not to serve you and me, folks. No, definitely not. As my friend Oliver Anthony would point out with his red beard and his uh, resonator guitar.
0: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty, the Armstrong and Getty show.